the giant Hey guys, welcome to the show. I'm Ram Castillo, and in this podcast, I'm bringing to you top experts from various industries worldwide to learn from their success and to help us become better designers, creatives, and giant thinkers. G'day, Giants. Ram here. Welcome to episode number 48. Our guest is the chairman of Publicist Communications Australia and New Zealand, one of the largest communication agency groups in the region. He is also the CEO of Publicist Worldwide Australia and NZ with businesses specializing in advertising, digital, PR, CRM, activation, mobile, brand strategy, and design. The umbrella of publicists with all their offerings will all make more sense shortly, all made clear by our guest who leads over 450 people in an organization that has over 60 major clients. Some of the topics we spoke about include how he interacts with employees to unlock the best out of them advice on how to operate under pressure, his view on being a leader and how he leads such a massive amount of people, and why everything ties back to having a clear vision. If you're someone that aims to move into leadership in some capacity, this is for you. I'm certain that you'll learn a ton from a person of this caliber. Before we begin, I invite you to browse through my YouTube channel. I've been putting extra effort into that the last few months, in particular, posting vlogs of my last USA tour, including my visit to places such as San Francisco, where I hung out with my good friends, Kevin Lee, who is the vice president and global head of design for Visa. I also caught up with Chase Jarvis at Creative Live as well. There are vlogs with my visit to the AIJ headquarters, VaynerMedia, Squarespace. I even uh, met up with Debbie Millman in New York. Check them out. You can watch them all on youtube.com slash Ram Castillo. Okay, that's plenty from me. Let's get straight into it. I present to you the highly respected mover and shaker, Andrew Baxter, a.k.a. Billy. Andrew Baxter, a.k.a. Billy Baxter. Uh, welcome to the Giant Thinkers podcast, mate. How are you? Great to see you. Great to have you here. It's yeah. good. It's, it's been a while. Um, thanks for hopping on the show. Firstly, for the audience, um, where did Billy come from? It's a 30-something year nickname. Okay. Um, <laughs> I got it in year eight, I think at school. Um, Paul Kelly, the singer, if you go back, his first ever hit song, was uh, I want to be like Billy Baxter. And I went to school the next day, ha, ha, ha. There's actually two Baxters in my year group and both of us got Billy off the back of that and it stuck. And it's been there for 30-odd years. I've got footy trophies that have got William Baxter on it because I didn't realize my name was Andrew. <laughs> nice. Well, it's it's certainly catchy and uh, I just thought I'd clear that up because I've, I've known you as, as Billy um, almost 12 years ago now since we worked together at Ogilvy. Back then it was Singos, Sing was. Singleton, Ogilvy and Mather. Um, 2005 to 2006, uh, and we haven't crossed paths in the flesh since then, but we've, we've kept in touch online. So it's a, it's a treat to reconnect. Uh, first off, uh, Billy from, uh, from me, I have an icebreaker question. What's the most fulfilling purchase you've made in the last six months that was under a hundred bucks? It was a pink AFL ball for my daughter. 
And uh, for a number of reasons. I mean, I, I played um, AFL, not quite at the highest level, but almost. And a great game I loved. I commentated. I, I coached. And and uh, and both my kids have really enjoyed AFL, but not really been into it. And I, I think what the AFL have done in the last couple of years in bringing girls and women into the game is incredible. And I took a picture of my daughter kicking her pink footy on Manly Beach. And I thought 25 years ago, who would have thought, A, someone would be kicking a foot, an AFL ball on Manly Beach, but B, it'd be a young girl, C, it'd be a pink ball. So it was just something that stuck to me that wasn't an expensive purchase, but it was quite a meaningful one. Yeah, I love that you brought that up. It's uh, it's interesting. As I dug up uh, a bit of your uh, repertoire of uh, where you've <laughs> dabbled into, you're you're actually uh, a board was a board advisor for one of the AFL. Um, oh, I did a little bit of work for St Kilda Footy Club. There you as go. Chaired their advisory board around you know um, sponsorship and things like that yeah. for a number of years. I'm a, I'm a St Kilda supporter, and I still in the background like helping the Saints out. Yep, yep. And uh, so you're a family man as well. You are a CEO um, and a chairman here at uh, Publicis. Um, so many things, and even more. You were chatting to me about um, helping startups and all sorts. Yeah, and no, I've done a lot of stuff in the startup space recently, um, bringing people together who, who have got interesting startup ideas. I've invested in a couple of them. Uh, I sit on four or five boards uh, as well. Th- three of those are the charity. You know, one's the Sydney Symphony Orchestra as well. Uh, and I'm, I'm also sitting on um, Catch of the Day, uh, the online uh, businesses board as well. So really, really interesting mix. I mean, I've, I do a lot in the, that arts education sport space um, normally, but I'm being asked to sit on a couple of other boards at the moment. So yeah. Really interesting. The startup space is fascinating too. Now, uh, for the listeners, AFL, uh, by the way, for those in America, stands for the Australian Football League. Uh, and uh, just Google AFL. And, and uh, it's a lot of bouncing, punching the ball, jumping on people's backs, diving <laughs> in the air. Um, yes, it, it sounds crazy and, and, it's, and it's great fun. Um, now, Billy, where would you say your expertise lies then? Uh, I think, look, I think first and foremost, I say to people that I'm, I'm a marketer. I mean, that's what I was, you know, trained as at university. Um, I did a couple of years in that space um, out of university at Gillette, which was great grounding back in those days. Big package goods companies were, were a great place to start and learn. And then I crossed across to the agency side. So I think, you know, at the end of the day, you you get into marketing because you like solving problems um, creatively, um, you know, using creative thinking. And, and I still think that's what we do you know, day in, day out within big uh, communications companies. I think the other thing for me is, um, you know, that whole connecting people and those networks, um, you know, so I, I really enjoy chatting with people, catching up with people, keeping in touch with people and you just never know where conversations might go. I remember when Phil Baldock, who was the VP of Jim Beam in this country for many, many years and he, re- he retired a couple of years ago and he sent a, he sent me a note because I've known him for a long time and he sent, he sent me a copy of his final leaving note to staff and it was around a cup of coffee and it's amazing how many great things in his career and great discussions, great ideas and great decisions were made over a cup of coffee. And I think funny to say that's that's an area of expertise, but I think it's something that's really important. Um, in a people business like the creative community, um, you know, in marketing, you need to have that. Yeah, and that's certainly something I admire about you, Billy. Uh, for the audience, I just a little insert here. Um, I actually started out at Ogilvy um, back then as a dispatch boy, little mailroom boy. And uh, out of the 350 people over four levels in this massive advertising agency, so we're talking uh, back then they had uh, accounts that include Telstra, Amex, Dove, Pizza Hut, KFC, um, a whole range Milo and uh, Billy was someone that always said g'day 
every morning always uh asked how i was and what i was working on and and since then i could just see this you know connecting people um empathy and love he had for people um now uh, billy i'd love for you to share to us a little about your childhood and how you grew up yeah grew up in the outer suburbs of melbourne um that's funny i'll say outer suburbs now it's sort of in the middle of the suburbs but back then uh, it was about you know 20 kilometers 15 miles out of the city um you know behind the school next to where we grew up was orchards um you know there was no uh, so it was out near uh you know Glen Waverley East Burwood out that area of Melbourne um really strong you know they were young families I mean our street was just full of kids um uh, you know I think the three or four houses next to us there was you know three kids in one house, four kids in our house, two in the next house, three in the next house. And we were just lived in and out of each other's houses back then. There was, we were in a cul-de-sac, you know, we rode our bikes everywhere. We kicked the footy. We, you know, we, we played cricket, whatever the sport was. We, we just all knocked around together. The street was full of Greek and Italian kids as well, because in Melbourne at that time, I think Melbourne's still the second biggest Greek community in the world outside of Athens. Um, so, you know, a lot of multicultural, a lot of different, um, you know, um, things to learn when you grew up. And I think that just really interesting, um, yeah, really interesting sort of melting pot. And we, as we lived right, the cul-de-sac backed into the, the high school and the primary school. So it was like we had this giant backyard of ovals and playgrounds. And so, yeah, it was very much riding around on our bikes, playing sport, um, learning, you know, there's some older kids that were really good. Even back then, you look back and talk about mentors. There was a couple of the older kids in that group that all taught us how to ride our bikes. And, you know, you know it was just a really good upbringing where, you know, nowadays it's and sadly you, you don't do it. You know, we used to disappear and mum would say, be home when it gets dark. That's right. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it was, a, it was sort of another time, but a great time. Did you have any uh, entrepreneurial stuff emerge as a child or how, how did marketing creep into your life? Yeah, look, we, again, I don't think I realized it at the time, but I come from a family of people that have been in marketing and advertising on my mum's side. So we've all got different surnames. I mean, my cousin to this day still runs PhD in this country. Um, my other cousin was a top creative director back in the Singos days, maybe before you and I. Um, uh, and uh, two of my uncles had their own agency together in the 70s. That One of those uncles went on to become head of marketing at Target. Uh, in Australia. So I think without realizing it, we grew up in conversation. I remember one of those uncles coming and coming around to our place and showing us that uh, he'd created an amazing new board game. And there was just this entrepreneurial, interesting spirit that that, that went on. And my, my father was, um, you know, had a quite a, a high job in logistics at John Sands Greeting Cards, one of the big greeting cards companies. So I grew up in sort of warehouses and business. And without realizing it, you sort of fell into this business thing's quite interesting. I didn't realize the marketing side was what I wanted to do probably till about a year after doing, I did a year of commerce at uni and then went on, actually, this marketing thing's really what I was wanting to do and I flicked into marketing and, and the rest is where we're at. So yeah, it's, I don't know, I think there's just been a, there was both a community spirit within the family, a lot of a lot of volunteering went on in, in the family and, and, you know, my grandparents, my mum and dad. So I think that was embedded, but there was also this, interesting marketing entrepreneurial business spirit that floated around when you look back on it. I, at the time, I didn't realize that it was there, but it definitely was. Can you unpack the publicist communications umbrella and what the group offers? Yeah. Um, look, publicist has gone through obviously you know, in, in a really positive way, some great change over the last couple of years. Um, the, the, the thing that confuses people is the name publicist keeps appearing at all different levels. So, I mean, there's publicists as a group and with the E on the end, there's the listed company and the holding company, a bit like a WPP or an Omnicom. 
Uh, then there is publicist communications and publicist communi- So we sort of divide the group into four areas, publicist communications, publicist media, publicist sapient and publicist healthcare. Within publicist communications, you've got great brands like um, Leo Burnett, Saatchi and Saatchi, BBH, Fallon, Marcel, and of course, publicist pops up again. It's called Publicist Worldwide as the ad agency. So that's the original agency that grew into Upstream. Then on the media side, you know, you've got um, great brands like Starcom and Zenith and MediaVest and Blue449 and then Publicist Sapiens, the digital um, you know, space that we're in very strongly with the with the acquisition of Sapien a few years ago. Uh, Digitas LBI is a really strong brand in that space. And then you've got um, the healthcare business as well. So that's sort of unpacking it. A few companies. A you know, few companies. <laughs> the, the area that, uh, you know, uh, we, we folk, you know, my role I suppose focuses on here is around the publicist communication side. You know, I started off um, and still am the CEO of Publicist Worldwide, um, which is the advertising agency and that, that oversees Marcel and what was the old mojo here in Australia. Um, so we've got offices in, you know, Melbourne, Brisbane, Sydney. Uh, and then it's also got a really strong loyalty business off to one side, uh, anything from um, higher end call centers. If you're a, you know, a top end customer of Qantas, that's our people answering the phone. We do a lot of end-to-end sales and marketing in that. So we run, we effectively run the sales and marketing for some government organizations in Queensland and New Zealand. So if you want to buy a personalized plate with Ram 01 on it in Queensland and New Zealand. That's actually our team that's working on that uh, and helping you buy that. So some different, you know, I think I, I always say that, you know, the marketing, the, the advertising world or what was the old advertising really, there's one thing hasn't changed for a hundred years is there's three main things that we do. Um, you know, we we build and manage brands. You know, we, we um, find, engage um, customers around those brands and then we help clients with change management. So it's really this brand, customer and change piece. And to be honest, yes, it's changed in the last 10 years in how we execute that, um, but very much and, and in terms of the revenue models of agencies, a lot of it's skewed toward the middle around customer because that's where the world of digital's come in and how we engage customers online. Um, but, you know, if you, th- if you think back to, therefore, how something like publicist communications is set up and then publicist media, you know, it plays into those things quite strongly. So on the, on the publicist communications side, we've obviously in Australia also got great brands in Leo Burnett and Saatchi and Saatchi, and they're really well run by the guys that do those. So, you know, uh, we, we tend to just, um, you know, from a chairman's role, you know, we're, we're managing across that in, in trying to, you know, help people move um, within the businesses, trying to make sure that we've got the right people on the right projects at the right time. Um, you know, I think the world of... Uh, conflict is there sometimes and sometimes not where people just, you know, some of our clients now will just say to us, we just want your best team of five people on this tomorrow. Mm. And then that way we can rally, uh, you know, more like I suppose a consulting firm, rally some of those people together and go, wow, actually I hear what you're after. There's three great people there. There's two great people there. We'll have them, you know, working on that tomorrow. Yeah, I'm glad you uh, described the breadth and scope of, the moving parts. Um, it sounds like there's a there's a lot there. What I'd love to kind of dig deeper on is your role in the organisation and the key responsibilities attached to that. Yeah, I think if I take on the first hand the, the publicist worldwide side and, uh, with my CEO hat on, I mean, really, that's that's driving a business that's got 450 odd people in it across Australia uh, and New Zealand because we've got a, a, sm- a small team in in Auckland. Um, you know, you've, you know, in terms of what I do on a day-to-day basis, you've got seven or eight direct reports. You know, we've got somebody sort of running Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne. Um, you've got somebody running that loyalty business. Um, so, you know, we, we, we break it down into easily biteable chunks. Uh, you know, I think I, I tend to be the sort of leader that lets people, you know, 
come to me with a plan and, and I'll, I'll let them execute that plan and I'll, I'll be helping them out rather than sitting on their shoulder every five seconds. I mean, I used to hate that, you know, when people do that to me. So you don't want to do that to them. Um, and, you know, I often say to the guys that, you know, my role is that I completely trust you to make 45 out of 50 great decisions. <laughs> it's the last five that I've probably mucked up over the years that I've already learned from that I'll help you before you muck up on them. That's that's really my role is to help you with those last five decisions that you might quite not. And so, you know, the guys copy me on everything um, and I'm an avid reader. I'll only ever have 30 or 40 emails sitting in my inbox. Um, you know, I think you've, you can't just say I'm too busy. You can't not, you know, have time to do things. You've got to feel like you're on top of that, you know. So that that's all of that's from a day-to-day management team. And then you've got 50 or 60 major clients around Australia and New Zealand that you are, you know, have got relationships um, in a good way with the CEO, the CMO, sometimes the CTO. So it's, it's continuing having those conversations. I think when I wrote my little book a couple of years ago, one of the things someone suggested to me as the intro was I had to look through my diary to figure out how many CEOs and CMOs I'd met with that year. And I went through my diary and I'd met with 60 CEOs that year and 125 CMOs. Now, not all of those were clients, but some were old clients, some were hopefully new clients coming. But that's a lot of people to have a lot of conversations with and really understanding from their point of view what a CEO is looking for from an agency and what a CMO is looking for from an agency. And that can often be quite different. Um, I think CEOs have a broader perspective that agencies can help them with some of their biggest business problems. Um, I think CMOs sometimes can, you know, they, they will definitely do that, but they'll also be a little bit more tactical and, and expect, you know, well, okay, we need to deliver this project by tomorrow and these new campaigns by then and this new website by then and we need this new call centre set up by X. So, um, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a dual range. But, I, but sitting there, you know, a lot of those articles that I write, uh, you know, I write uh, – a monthly marketing column for the national broadsheet here, the Australian, as you know, and, and and they've often come from questions that CEOs have asked me about marketing. Because interestingly, I've discovered that only about 10% of CEOs were marketers. So a lot of them don't necessarily understand, um, you know, uh, as strongly as they might, if their area of expertise was say finance or banking or they're a lawyer or sales or, yeah. so, yeah, they might've come from other fields within the organization. So, you know, when, when marketing's gone through so much change in the last five to seven years, I mean, keep, marketers have struggled to keep up with that, let alone CEOs. So a lot of the columns I write will be based on questions that a CEO might have asked me and they've said, oh, really? Talk to me about the long-term effect of social media. Is it really working in the long term? And I'll go, well, that's an interesting question. I'll give them the answer. I'll go, that's an interesting article I could write off the back of that. Mm. Um, so, you know, I, I, look, I, re- I've really enjoy, I, mean, I really enjoy the change that marketing's going through. I think you only had two options 10 years ago. You bury your head in the sand and thought it was going to go away or you just embraced that change and you, you know, retaught yourself everything there was to do about marketing and you can't really be a leader of a major organisation day to day and have these conversations with CEOs and CMOs if you don't have an opinion on what's working, what's not working, where the trends might come, what might be next. And then the chairman side of things, is that uh, complimentary. Yeah, so it's complimentary on, on the on, and that that's really about looking. You know, my my part in that is really about looking forward. Like, where where's the business need to be in you know the next two years? Where's that growth going to come from? Where's the major growth going to come from? You know, what areas, what gaps do we have um, in the business? So, like any business leader would be looking at it, and, and I often say, as as marketers, we often forget about giving advice on it's the old cobbler's shoes thing. You don't give advice on your own business. Um, you, you know, you forget to transform your own business. So 
you know, we, we want to be ambitious. We want to set um, targets for where we want to get to. We want to set scary targets or big, hairy, audacious goals. We want to be saying, well, how do we grow this business by 50% over the next three years? And what would that look like? And if we can't do 50, what does 40 look like? Instead of, I think, businesses can get caught up in saying, we want to grow by 3% this year and 2% next year. You want to have more of that entrepreneurial spirit. So the more, my chairman's role is more about that. It's also making sure that, um, you know, that we're working really closely and well together with our media colleagues and with our digital colleagues because, you know, I think in big holding groups, everyone can run off in silos and that's not what we want to be. It's not what our clients expect. So part of my role there is to, is to ensure that we're, you know, we're working closely with, with those, those teams on clients because the clients go, we just bought into publicists. You know, we, we, we're buying into one of your digital teams and one of the media teams and maybe two of your ad agencies. We just want those guys to all work together. So part of, you know, our role as leaders is also to make sure that works. So, yeah. I'm glad you brought up the uh, shoot for the moon mentality, right? And uh, even if you miss your land, land amongst the stars, I think is the quote. Um, and, it, and it ties back to something that uh, I'm a huge fan of Tim Ferriss. And he's, he said that uh, you really have to go for something that scares you because if it doesn't, then there's obviously no progression for change. Um, and also that even if you reach 70%, let's say, of that goal, it's still a win-win. It's 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 still probably more than aiming low, and then getting that um, yeah. at a hundred percent. So uh, I love that. Um, now, personal curiosity of mine, two-part question: A, how do you personally operate under pressure, and uh, what practical advice have you got when shit hits the fan? <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm look. People will say I'm I'm fairly calm most of the time. So I mean, I, I do have. I've only got a couple of little sayings. Uh, one, one of which is stress is a waste of time and energy um, because, you know, th- this is a pressure business. And, and when I often go and, and, and lecture at, you know, guest lecture at the big universities and talk about the pros and cons of the communications business, I mean, there's deadlines. I mean, as I say to them, there's never been a newspaper with a blank page printed. There's never been a TV um, show at night with 30 seconds of non-footage. Um, you know, there's never been a website with a blank page. Uh, we have to constantly meet deadlines. It is the nature of our business. And, you know, clearly managing expectations, you know, I think it's when you don't communicate well with the marketing teams you're working with or internally that some of these things can get in trouble. And I think it's, you know, uh, someone once said to me, um, I can't remember if it was, might have been Russell Tate in SCW days or Mike Conahan that was like, you know, give me the good news fast and the bad news faster. (laughs) <laughs> and it was a really good way of saying that when you're in trouble, we just got to deal with it, right? I mean, it's it's marketing and advertising and building websites. It's not the end of the world. Um, we sometimes make mistakes uh, and I think you just got to have those mature conversations and a sense of calm and say, look, we've made, you know, there's been a problem or we're going to miss this deadline. Here's what we're going to do about it. Uh, it's all, it's got to, you know, I've always been very solutions focused. I hate people coming to me with a problem. I send them straight back out. So come back and tell me, you know, when you've got three different solution options for that problem, then you can walk back in here. Uh, so I think th- these are the sorts of things you have to have. But I, look, I I don't tend to get too worked up. I think the guys, when they when I do, they go, oh, holy crap, something's really wrong here. Um, you know, I think because those days, I mean, when I played football, you know, the, 25 years ago it was yelling and screaming and rah, 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 and now it's very much a process of, well, this plan is to do this, this game, this plan is to do that, and if you guys work as a team over here, then we're going to win the game. So, you know, it, it's a much there's a much calmer mentality around. Um, now, it's not to say calmness means lack of urgency. There's still a huge amount of urgency in this business every second of the day, but I think when problems hit, you've got to um, approach them with that sense of calm. 
Mm. Yeah, I love I love that advice. Uh, making sure that you're spending your energy productively, and then also what you said about um, open communication and flagging stuff early. I think uh, that's something certainly that I've learned along the way. Um, you know, if and for the designers and creatives out there listening, if a, if a job hasn't been uh, allocated a certain amount of time, and it, and if it really is unrealistic, that should be brought to the to the table during the briefing mm. almost you know right up early um it can certainly save a, a world of pain yeah. uh and uh let's talk about leadership what what makes a good leader in your opinion and have you got a story that that gives an example around that i learned a lot about leadership i, I keep referring I, sound, I think i sound like singer here referring back to sport but I, I did learn a lot from leadership and management from when i played sport and then coached sport um, you know, in a back to our AFL scenarios, there's 22 players in a team who've got 22 different mindsets and motivations and, um, you know, and ways they go about things. And I think you learnt that within a creative agency, you know, you've got hundreds of those people who all, um, you know, who all have different things that um, get them out of bed every morning and, and and want them to do great work. And, you know, some people need a bit of rah-rah and some people just need a pat on the back and some people just like to be left in the corner and, you know, some people like to, you know, be patted on the back all the time. So you just got to understand what that is um, from a from – a, uh, a, that's more, I suppose, a management style. I think from a leadership point of view, again, coming back to the shooting for the stars, I mean – You've, you know, someone once said to me in this business, all you have as the CEO is all, all you're selling every day is hope. And with, with a lot of people around you, you've got to give them a vision for where you've got to go. I used to think this was all a bit, you know, oh yeah, whatever, you know, 15 years ago. Now I truly believe it because, you know, you, you if you stand up there in front of the team and obviously some great leaders do that and, and you say, look, here's where we're going over the next three years. Here's our ambition. Here's our vision for the company. Here's the, the the monetary value for that because at the end of the day we're all in this. It's a business, you know. We, we we've got to run it as a business, so there's we shouldn't be shy about that. Um, and here's here it is, you know, broken down into ten ways we're going to get there. Uh, and 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 being being very clear with people, and then just you know reinforcing that um, from a cultural point of view, just you know constantly saying, well, you know, here's how we're going. You know, coming back to the team telling them when we might be moving off into a different direction. So I think there's that whole sense of people want to know, people want to work for an organization that's going somewhere. I mean, it's, it's, it's everyone knows that the, the more that it grows, the more likely that people can get promoted, the more likely that people can get the right training, the more likely they can get their pay rises, the more likely we can move them into other markets. I mean, it is a, a really nice virtuous circle if you can get it right. Uh, and so, you know, I think if you can set that up. So, so my leadership style is more, like that from a whole company from a from my direct team as i said before i tend to give them enough enough rope in a sense um you know and, and it will only really jump in when i can see that you know they might be making about to make a mistake that i've made before um because experience and me being you know maybe six to ten years older than most of them i've been there i've made those mistakes it's just helping them avoid making those mistakes um you know you've got to trust people you've hired them you know, on, on good salaries to run big businesses and you've got to trust that they can run that organisation really well. And, and you know, I think just then having those constant conversations, I do a lot of coffee. We talked about coffee before. I, I have a lot of coffees. Um, one of the things I do is I, as an example, because I do like to understand all the people still to this day, as you said before, I, w- I have a coffee within the first four to eight weeks with every new person that starts at the company. And it means you can have a meaningful conversation when you walk past them in the hallway. Um, and, and, you know, they feel like they're actually part of this and not just another 
you know, person sitting in the corner. Um, yeah. You know, so I think, look, there's a lot of little things that add up from a leadership point of view. But I, you know, if someone asks me for my time, I always give it. Uh, you know, I, I do believe that you know you, you do some good and and, and it comes around. Um, so you know, if a if a kid at university rings me and or writes to me and says I you know I'd love to do an internship, I won't say yes at that point. But I'll say, well, why don't you come and have a coffee? You know, talk to me about it. I'll do that cup of coffee, and then if, you know, if they're you know nine times out of ten they're fantastic, we'll give them a week you know a week's experience in here somewhere. So yeah, I, that that is really you know trying to unpack my own leadership style without thinking about it too much. But they're just some of the stories that hopefully help understand it reminds me of um one of my mentors back in the day who said that the best way to motivate someone is to find what already motivates them um and and buying into that that vision and really getting to know the person and seeing what their motives are can really help align uh basically you know their productivity their energy towards the the task or the Mm. job um and it also reminds me of um simon sinek who I obviously wrote that book, I Start yeah. With Why, and um, recently uh, Leaders Eat Last. And I love uh, one of the things he wrote in Leaders Eat Last, something along the lines of, and I'm, and I'm just uh, paraphrasing here, but something along the lines of leaders are appointed. Um, leadership, um, actually leading, is, is not. It's, mm. uh, it's got to do more with people choosing to follow you despite the remuneration mm. and it's that whole buying into the vision thing yes. that is is really important you know what are we really doing here in this organization yeah what 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 impact are we making and how is it meaningful for the world and how is that in alignment with our personal yes meaning yeah or, no, you know. absolutely and i think and it's even more so in a people industry right i mean all we we don't have a factory we don't make you know we we are made up of people mm. uh, and if you can't get those people to buy into that and to work as a team I mean I often say that sadly a, a competitive advantage in our industry is to work as a team because in a lot of other agencies you hear about all the infighting and silos and things going on and you know part of my note that I write on the first day to every new starter is is exactly that you know this business is hard enough as it is um let alone if we're not acting like a team. So, you know, understand that one of our values is collaboration and it's critical to what we do um, and, and what our clients expect of us. And they, these sound so simple but often get forgotten. It's very true, very true. Um, I wanted to quickly tap into a pattern that I've seen advocated by many mentors of mine and uh, certainly seen this in you, um, ensuring employees are happy because if they are then the customers are as well and if the customers are happy then the shareholders are happy so yeah. <laughs> everyone wins um what are the ways you've attempted to keep your employees happy and and what approaches have worked really well for you um look i think as we we're just talking about clear communication of you know the vision and, and those up i think people it's amazing how those little things go a long way because you know, often we'll hear that we're not doing a good job as leaders because of what we're not doing. And, and you know, well, we don't know where the company's going. Nobody's given us an update. You know, so I think those sorts of things are, are critical in setting that base of what is the vision, where we're we going, and, 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 and keeping people uh, on track with that. I think, look, there's a whole range of, um, you know, employee engagement things that, you know, 
agencies do. And, you know, we've probably all seen them all along the way. I mean, I, I look at in here, I wander down every Wednesday night and there's, there's yoga classes going on that we offer because a certain number of people like doing that and they're finding it hard to get home in time to go to their local yoga class. So we put one on here. I mean, that's just one little example of some of the things we do, but it's listening to what, you know, the teams in here want. Um, and, and what makes them feel like, you know, they, they'll be part of almost a family-like business and, and, and us going, well, okay, you want a better cafe and better coffee downstairs, so we'll go and find a new person, a new team to come run that coffee shop. I mean, again, these things sound like they're little, but they all add up. Um, you know, it, it's like anything with any relationship. It's the little things that often add up that one on top of another cause the issues. But if you can have one on top of the other that are positive, then, then you end up in a much better space. So, look, we work we work really hard on on everything. You know, I think as, as a group, publicist, you know, has has been a big proponent of inclusion along the way. I mean, right down from you know from uh, you know people like Maurice Levy all the way down. That's been a strong thing. I think um, you know as a French company, that's very important uh, to them and to us. So, you know, there, there, again, there's, there's some sort of more macro um, things, and there's some. I think each office gets to do what they think. You know, is right in bringing those teams together and making the place an enjoyable place to work. I mean, at the end of the day, you don't want to be coming to work and being an unhappy person. You want to be coming to work, and you know, I mean, we spend more time at work than with often with our families, and and you want it to be a place that you enjoy coming to. Speaking about communication, um, how do you find the balance between being firm and on, and upfront with people, not just employees, but just, you know, even clients, potential clients or any, any type of um, people relationship, really um, finding the balance between being firm and upfront while keeping a healthy level of empathy and generosity. Yeah. Well, one of my first bosses always told me you can't get in trouble for telling the truth or you can't get in trouble for being honest. And I think, that's what you need to sometimes do is have honest conversations um, and be upfront with people. And sometimes they aren't, they aren't, you know, they aren't great conversations to be having, particularly if you're, you're restructuring or you're letting people go. Um, you know, and some of those people you might have been friends with for 10 years. Um, so again, if I go back to my, one, one of the, um, again, with my sporting hat on, I, I went one year from playing to be the playing coach of one of the teams I was involved in. And so all of a sudden you were one of the lads playing and going every drink after the game and the next minute you were coaching them and you had to find some sort of slightly professional distance where you still you know were engaging uh, with that team because they were good friends but at the same time you needed to be able to make decisions that were for the betterment of that club and and just like in business at the end of the day we're running a business um, and we've got to make decisions based on what we think is best for that business and sometimes that might mean some tough conversations but it means you then need to sit down with people and, and be honest about it and upfront and 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 quickly you know don't let them fester just you know pe- people are grown up they get it they get that you know we are running you know businesses and, and you know obviously that they are big creative businesses they're great businesses to work in um but I think you know even even when it's um sitting with sometimes with a uh, you know, with a major client, again, just being honest and saying, look, look, I get sometimes our team are doing this, but your team is also doing that. And between us, you know, we're the only team that can resolve this. How are we going to do it? And just being practical and sensible about it. You know, I think taking some of the emotion out of some of these conversations is really important as well. That's really good advice. Uh, a few more questions for you, Billy, uh, before we wind down. Uh, what do you look for when hiring a new employee? Um. I was having this discussion with my wife the other day who was a 
you know, a well-known marketing director, and now she lectures uh, marketing at, at Sydney University. And I got in trouble for, I, I guess, lectured one of her classes the other week, and I told them that I'd never looked at a person's university mark when employing somebody. <laughs> <laughs> I said all I looked for was I had the commitment to do the course in the time they should have done the course. So if it was a three-year course, a four-year course. If they've had the commitment to put three or four years of their life into it and they've gotten through it, that's good enough for me. I don't really, if they've got a pass or a high distinction, because to me, again, with 100% people organisations, the cultural fit is critical. Um, and I think the subtle hints to leadership and teamwork is something I look for. So if I'm looking at a graduate's um, CV, for example, or even somebody, you know, who's, who's a lot more senior, I'll, I'll be looking for have they been involved in a local club or a community or a charity? You know, what, what have they done that, that that shows that they're actually happy to be part of a team or have they been on a committee for something or have they been captain of something? Because it just says a little bit more about that person. Uh, I tend to, you know, it's getting harder as, as time goes on, but I, I like to interview people first, not last as a CEO, um, because you'll get the cultural fit. I mean, and I also think it's rude that they, someone might've gone through four or five interviews with the rest of the team and then the CEO's last. And if you knock them back and, you know, it's a, it's a hard conversation to have had that, look, it's a cultural fit that we don't think you're quite going to work here. Uh, so, so, you know, we tend to try and put that, cultural lens over it quickly, whether it's me or one of the other leaders, and then we'll really dig into the skill set. Um, so yeah, it's a bit more complex in, in terms of what we're looking for. But I think one last example in that space, we've, we've obviously pulled together a great creative business here in Sydney called Marcel, which was only the fourth office of Marcel to open in the world. And we had a bit of an ambition for that business. To, to We said it was, you know, we wanted to be a world-class agency in the best city in the world. And we wanted to be an agency that was of the next 10 years. So when you start setting up visions like that, it's really clear about who you shouldn't be employing. And interestingly, I think out of that leadership team of um, eight or so people, you know, there's, there's something, I can't remember, five guys, three, three girls, um, two-thirds are under the age of 40 deliberately. Um, I think six of the eight weren't born in Australia. And you start thinking about diverse thinking, um, bringing together really interesting people that are going to have incredible creative thought processes and outputs. It's the whole package that works. I mean, often you'll you'll hear agencies signing a star, but at the detriment of everybody else you need around them, you, you, you need these teams. You, you need to be able to put all the pieces of the puzzle together to get an incredible um, team in the one place. Great examples. I appreciate that, Billy. Uh, now, a question I ask all my guests, if you could travel back in time for 30 seconds and speak to junior Billy, uh, perhaps uh, the youngster finishing high school, what would you tell him? Uh, I think... I think two things. One, I actually learned reasonably quickly after high school was just be yourself. Um, you know, people in business are who they are. It doesn't matter if they're the CEO of a Fortune 500 company in the US, they're just normal people uh, who you can have normal conversations with. So I think there's no point trying to be anyone that you're not. Uh, you know, I'm, I think the biggest compliment I get is that you're the most unadvertising person I've come across. You know, they get that I'm a, mar- you know, a marketer in a sense, but, you know, you, you, that, that's, that's sort of a nice compliment you know i'm sitting here in a suit and tie today there's not many people that still do that um don't always do it but i but i think be yourself um you know be comfortable in who you are uh you know i think authenticity is really important the other thing that plays off authenticity is self-belief i think you know deep down a lot of us do know where we want to go and what we want to be um and you've got to have it doesn't need to be an external you know arrogant self-belief it just needs to be a self-belief that I really can get there. 
um, you know, and whether, again, whether that be in business, life, sport, whatever else you're doing, you, you've got to have that that sort of deep-seated belief. So I think I'd be telling myself, you know, those two things that, you know, ha- have that have that sense of belief um, in yourself and, and just be authentic and be who you are, be yourself. Mm. Don't try and be anybody, anybody else. Yeah, I, I completely agree, especially when we have that choice anyway. Yeah. It's it's always the the better option to to think that you can yeah. <laughs> versus yeah. think that you can't. Yeah. Um, now, who has been an impactful giant thinker in your life, uh, that person who has inspired you to think bigger, dig deeper in helping you reach your full potential? I've been lucky to have three or four really good mentors along the way uh, in different ways. I mean, my first boss was a guy called John Peters. John ran Clemenger, he ran Y&R. Uh, you know, he ran Ogilvy for a little while and, you know, he sort of took me under his wing when I first started in advertising at the age of 23, 24, after I'd done a couple of years at Gillette. I still see John, I still try and buy him dinner twice a year and we still get along famously, you know, and he he just was that great, wise, um, you know, person that, that had been around and been there and done that, incredible people person, uh, incredible with clients. So he was somebody that, you know, really... And he'll 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 often still say to this day that after a year of me doing what I was doing as a young account manager, he never thought I was going to make it. And you know, here we all are. But he, you know, he was very good in in just encouraging me to in what to do and coaching me in the the skills you needed. Um, and then uh, there's, there's another guy, Jeff Ingle, who's I think still now the chairman of JWT here. And Jeff, when when YNR and Mattingly merged, John and Jeff sort of came together as the leadership team. And Jeff's still someone I really enjoy catching up with and just talking about the business. Um, you know, someone like Russell Tate was also terrific um, back in the day. And Russell was great in that he'd say, well, what do you think you need to do to make this happen? And I think at one point he, he sent me to Melbourne to merge three businesses together. And I jokingly said, well, you know, nine out of 10 agency mergers fail. And now you're sending me down there to do one where you're trying to merge three things together. And he laughed and he said, sit down and, you know, what do you reckon we should do? And I think I wrote down 10 things. And he goes, well, right, I'm just going to ring you every couple of weeks and ask you how those 10 things are going. And, and that was fantastic, right? Because there was that sense of trust, um, but there was a sense that he, you know, he believed in that was the plan that you were going to set out, and that you know you needed to deliver on that. So he was he was really good in just in you know giving you that space to um, to deliver. And then I think someone who who I really enjoyed and I still enjoy catching up with um, uh, is David Trewern. David founded DT, which um, STW and WPP bought in this country. It's now AKQA. Um, and uh, and and David, for back then, for a relatively young person, was an incredibly big thinker. Um, he really believed in that, you know, those visions and the BHAGs, and he really in, you know, believed in pivoting those businesses um, quickly every couple of years um, to to update themselves into, you know, what because digital was changing so quickly. Uh, and and I learned an incredible amount um, about you know the digital world from from working with him and his team, um, Brian Veller and others at the time. But David was just this, you know, as I said, for a relatively young person, incredibly smart, wise, um, but visionary in where the business could go. And he, you know, he's since invested in, I think, um, private university and he's, he's now doing a few other things along the way. So he's, uh, you know, when you talk about those giant thinkers, he was somebody who was thinking about where these businesses could go ahead of the time, ahead of most other people. Mm, that, that is a, an impressive range of uh, networks and, and people uh, that you've been surrounded with. And, and I, as, as the listeners know, uh, believe that we're all a product of our mentors and yeah. who we surround ourselves with. So that's really, really incredible. Uh, so what's next for you, Billy, and everything you're involved in this year and beyond? Um, oh, it's always busy. I mean, there's never a dull day in this world. I, that's one of the things I do say to um, university graduates. I say that the great thing about this business is that every day is different. 
Every hour is different. You wake up and you never quite know what's going to happen, what email you're going to get, what phone call you're going to get for what client and how you can then juggle your mind to go, well, actually that problem that that client's got might be an auto, but there was something really similar in packaged goods that went on five years ago that we can maybe learn from. And, and so you're, you're always constantly trying to join the dots like a giant jigsaw puzzle that never quite finishes. Um, so look, I think on a day-to-day basis, I really enjoy that. I, I'm really enjoying where Publicis as a group is going. Uh, and obviously, you know, in uh, in the next month or so, Artil Sadoon takes over as our, our CEO. Um, he'll only be the third CEO that Publicis Group's had in 90 years, which is an amazing story in itself. You know, Marcel, the founder, Maurice Levy, incredible. And Artil, so I think, you know, I feel like I'm at, a, at an agency at a really interesting uh, moment in time with somebody you know, new now. Artil has been with us for a number of years and he was one of the people that um, interviewed me for me to come across here three years ago and uh, and he's been terrific to to work with. So I think there's some of the things I'm looking forward to. I think, you know, um, you know kids are heading into high, one's in high school, one's not. So on the home front, there's a lot of a lot of great things happening. And and I think you know I'm really enjoying some of the board work I'm doing. I mean, it's it's nice to be able to give back. Um, you know, I think we are in a position um, in running agencies and being involved in in charitable organisations. And we we ask each of our officers to to work with one charity of their choice because I think it's nice to give back. They're in a position to give back. They're in a position to create something that will help that charity raise more funds or deliver in, in a better way. So I think there's always things happening in that space as well. Um, so, yeah, so I think, look, in, in, the, in the shortest term, you know, we're, we're over in um, Cannes in a couple of weeks and Viva Tech, which is, a, a you know, a technology show, the European sort of version of South by Southwest is happening. So, you know, in the shortest, in the next month, I'm looking forward to heading over to that because you're always learning. You're always, you go along to those things, whether it be Viva Tech or whether it be Can, and there's always someone you listen to or see or meet, you learn something from and you go, wow, okay, tick that one, write that one down and, uh, you know, I'll take that back with me. So, yeah. Beautiful. Uh, and how can listeners get in touch with you, Billy, online? Uh, I have, my website's just www.andrewbillybaxter.com.au. Uh, all my social uh, media handles are Andrew Baxter three. I was not quick enough on Twitter at the time to, to <laughs> get the first one fast. Although, funnily enough, in the family, I did have uh, an uncle and a great uncle that were called Andrew. So I jokingly say I'm, you know, Andrew the third, Andrew Baxter the third. But yeah. it, is, it truly is what I was slacking getting. Uh, <laughs> uh, so Andrew Baxter three or AndrewBillyBaxter.com.au. Wonderful. Uh, mate, it has been an absolute pleasure to meet with you again after over a decade. Um, thank you once again for your time and your insights. Uh, your advice is pure gold and have always looked up to you on and off uh, the professional landscape. So thank you. No worries. Thank you. And mate, well done. You're doing an incredibly great job yourself. So good to see. Thank you for tuning in, Giants. I hope it's given you a ton of brain food with a side of inspiration. Please share this episode with a friend or a loved one if you think it'd benefit them. This is what it's all about. I interview these expert guests for all of us to learn and grow together. As you all know, I'm a massive advocate for designing better designers. The more designers we have, the more problem solvers we have too. You can forward giantthinkers.com to anyone and it'll take them right to it. Now, a tiny teaser for our next guest. She is a co-founder and principal at Meld Studios, an Australian design firm specializing in service design and interaction design. 
Her foundational beginning stems from graduating with honors in psychology, masters in social sciences, and starting in information architecture. Her career has been focused on humanizing products and services down to the most detailed of interactions within them. She's an incredible woman, and I'm excited for all of you to hear that next interview. Before you race off, a quick reminder to check out youtube.com slash Ram Castillo for a glimpse into my latest vlog videos. They include my visit to places such as Visa, Creative Live, AIGA, VaynerMedia, and Squarespace. Watch them all at youtube.com slash Ram Castillo. For any questions regarding the podcast or anything at all, please contact me. The best way to reach me is on Snapchat or Instagram. Send me a message via my handle, The Giant Thinker. Lastly, I'll leave you with a quote that I loved from Billy who said, a competitive advantage in our industry is to truly work as a team. 